0: Welcome to a special edition of Serving Stories, a podcast by Serve the City, dedicated to sharing stories of how kindness has not been canceled during the COVID-19 outbreak. I'm your host, Ani Deal. Instead of our normal, full-length podcast, in the past few weeks, we've been offering a few stories of COVID kindness in our various cities. We hope these inspire you and the friends you might share them with during this challenging season. Il y a ensuite des obligations et interdictions. Désormais, c'est tolérance zero. On March 17th, the day the third Belgian victim of coronavirus died, the Belgian government announced stringent measures for containing the epidemic. The only shops to open would be grocery stores and pharmacies. School was closed, people had to work from home, and no one could gather or be in the streets apart from essential trips. A week later, as the hundredth person in a country of only 11 million died, sanctions strengthened. Police drones cruised over parks looking for people disregarding rules about social distance. If you were stopped in the streets without good reason, or were loitering in public places, you would receive an immediate fine of 250 euros. But during this lockdown, some people in Brussels discovered another urgent reason to be on the streets, besides buying groceries or going to the pharmacy.
1: My name is Diervid. I'm from Ireland. This is my second time out with Surf the City uh, since the lockdown. Um, It was a lot sunny the first time. It's a little cold today. Um, It's... it's, yeah, it's a nice, even like a quite a rewarding thing that I look forward to during the week because, you know, it's one of the few times during this like strange period of isolation where you get to interact with people and, you know, just even have the bare minimum of socialization even though I don't speak very good French or um, and can't communicate that well with anybody, so... Yeah, it's nice.
0: Earlier in this season of Serving Stories, we reported on what Serve the City Brussels has been doing to reach out to the undocumented migrants living on the streets of the city. Most of these migrants are in transit through Belgium and living in a park, in the train station, or on the streets. But in our two Brussels episodes, we learned how Serve the City volunteers have joined other citizens in trying to serve these people who have no resources and no rights. But now we wondered... What would happen to these projects as Brussels locked down? Or to other projects dealing with vulnerable people with little other support? We went back to the Brussels team to find out.
1: We closed all, all of our projects, actually, but we kept the projects with the humanitarian help um, still like open.
0: This is Nathan Torini, the director of Serve the City Brussels. Normally, there are over 40 volunteer projects of various kinds that the team runs every week. But with the lockdown, they had to make hard choices.
1: So we we have only three projects uh, running. One is uh, Le Far, the second one is Breakfast for Refugees, and the third one is port du Lys.
0: As Nathan mentioned, each of these is a humanitarian project, either feeding people who are living on the streets or helping to house them in emergency shelter.
1: So the difference that it makes is uh, really important because there's a lot of NGOs that had to stop their activities and had to stop distributing food or welcoming people because of the lockdown we have here in Brussels. So we decided to reinforce our projects.
0: The first of these projects is Breakfast for Refugees, which we profiled in our first Brussels episode this season. Volunteers with this project have been serving breakfast to migrants and asylum seekers living in a park since the 2015 refugee crisis. But of course, the format of the project during the crisis has changed.
1: Breakfast for Refugees, we are not distributing food in the morning anymore but we are trying to support and uh, co- uh, co- coordinate that with another NGO that that is distributing uh, hot meals at midday and we come with coffee and something sugary uh, we actually give uh, muffins every time we serve and uh, actually breakfast refugees we usually served around 120 to 150 people and here we serve around 300 to three hundred fifty people every time we do our distribution.
0: Not only has the format and time changed, the location has moved from Park Maximilian to an outdoor space on the banks of a large canal in the north of the city.
1: So when we started to reorganize Breakfast for Refugee, we, we wanted to do it with the people who, who knows how to run the project you know, the people who are used to run the project.
0: Rob is one of those volunteers who knows how to run Breakfast for Refugees. We interviewed him in our earlier episode, and we caught up with him again to ask him how the team has had to change some of their routines.
2: So the prep is done, I think, mainly by Raymond, uh, because we obviously, we can't be uh, two or three in the office at the same time. And then the following day, there's a driver who goes by him or herself and uh, picks up the, you know, the coffee, the tea, the, the cupcakes, and then drives it over The the rules are pretty strict, so we can't be more than one in the fans. And then on location, we meet with a couple other different people.
0: To comply with the guidelines, Serve the City issued certificates to volunteers to show, if stopped, that they were out in public with a purpose. And then there are rules about personal protection and social distancing that we have all become familiar with.
1: So that's always the challenge, because uh, the city and the police allowed us to do the distribution only if we keep the um, hygiene measures uh very high you know you uh, you have to have the social distance uh, people need to wear masks and um so yeah it's a challenge we we didn't have a uh, mask until a volunteer uh, randomly uh, contacted us through the website said i
2: have 300 masks do you need it and say oh yes we need it i work with masks uh gloves as well it is pretty difficult though because um Although a lot of these people are maintaining their distance in line, uh, when we're serving the coffee and the tea and giving out um, cupcakes and stuff, they tend to bundle together. So the neighborhood washer there, uh, ensuring that people are maintaining social distance and that
0: we are complying with the rules so that we don't get in too much trouble with the police. For the people in the park that the Breakfast for Refugees team usually serves, it has been an even more challenging time than it is normally.
2: I think that... Unfortunately, a lot of them have been chased out from the park uh, a couple of weeks ago, actually. And I think they got set up in some hotels, but I don't know if that represents all of them. I think this is really just my own opinion, but I feel like people are generally a bit more short-tempered. Here, I, I have the feeling that they're already told by police, they're they're really told what to do all the time, that when they come pick up their food and their drink, they're, they've already sort of had enough.
0: But part of the goal is not just to serve super sandwiches. It's also to serve smiles.
2: There's a lot of people with big smiles, and now it's, uh, it's mid-April, it's getting really nice out, so sometimes they bring a soccer ball around, and for, for a second it, it seems like it's a nice, normal spring day if you forget the fact that you're serving food at a canal
0: and that police can kick you out at any moment. And smiles are served even more easily when accompanied by delicious homemade muffins. These are a Serve the City specialty, donated by a valued partner
1: so the um, holy trinity community kitchen is already partnering with us uh, since a a few months uh, by making muffins to our project uh, breakfast for refugees but they were delivering what 150 muffins for every distribution but now since we are serving more and more people, it has been a challenge for them that they actually concrete to a great uh, thing. They are making more than 700 to 800 muffins every week uh, for our two distribution, which is amazing.
0: It's kind of a brave thing to do, volunteering in the middle of an epidemic to help a group of people often characterized as disease-ridden by some of the media. But Nathan told us that recruiting people to help has surprisingly not been a problem.
1: But now we we have a lot of people who are actually you know in lockdown and want to make a difference and do something. So we have a lot of volunteers available to help us.
0: Hi, my name's Beth. I'm doing the uh, lunchtime service for the second time now. Uh, the weather's a bit colder this week, so we didn't have as many people. But we're here at Kaidi Panish, and we have uh, we've had over a hundred. Maybe a little under 200 people come and get some lunch and a hot drink. And um, yeah, what I liked about it as well is that it
3: gets me out of the house and uh, talking to people face to face, which is always nice. And uh, yeah, everything seems very well organized. So we're respecting the rules and making sure that
0: people get some food. We also asked Rob what motivated him to continue to volunteer with the project in the face of the risks to himself.
2: That's a good question. Honestly, so I take precautions and I protect myself. Um, My parents live here. And I don't see them, but I think that there's other people that are in so much more need um, of help and of assistance than than us. And, uh, of course, staying at home, you know, you're doing your part, but I feel like there's so much more that we could do, especially if uh, if we're capable of it and if, uh, if we have the right infrastructure around us to, to help, I'd say I think why not continue doing that.
0: And sometimes it takes grassroots movements to address the needs of a city – or even a continent
2: uh, for larger um, governing bodies to really make meaningful actions and moves. It takes a lot longer for them. Um, so I think it's great that there's smaller organizations that are deciding. Okay, we're going to do this on our own uh, before other people will tell us what the you know what the right move is. In Europe, uh, you know, we we look up to the. The European Union for this this body that's going to tell us what to do, and Brussels is like the, the center for that, um, but there's really not much being done here. Yeah, it's, it's nice to have uh, really long meetings and weekly status meetings on what's going on and what potentially we could change and reallocating budget, and that all makes sense, but sometimes it just takes, you know, this community spirit of let's volunteer and sort of actually get something done. Uh, in a time like this.
0: The second project that the Serve the City Brussels team decided to continue was a meal for a more eclectic group of homeless people living in the city center. A project called Le Far, which means the lighthouse. Now probably the image that popped in your head when I said meal for homeless people was of a typical soup kitchen. But this doesn't begin to do justice to what a meal at Le Fard is really like.
3: It's once a week, typically, and we serve a three-course meal, starting with a soup and a a hot vegetarian meal, followed by a fresh dessert, all homemade, uh, fresh food that's either donated or made there in-house, or a little of both.
0: No wonder the team prefers to use the term community dinner to describe the kind of lunchtime feast they normally provide. In normal times, this community dinner takes place in the banquet hall of the Salvation Army, where chefs creatively convert food donations from schools and other contributors into a tasty and nourishing meal. Jenny, one of the project leaders, is passionate about it.
3: It's a a project that I've been with for eight years now, uh, and it's grown uh, quite a bit in that eight years and certainly more people coming to see us. You love to see them every time because we come together like family and we know many people by their names. They certainly know ours and you're so happy and joyous to see them and know that they're safe and in a safe place, all coming together and smiling and laughing and eating what you know is a very delicious meal.
0: With the COVID epidemic, however, a sit-down meal gathering people from the streets was no longer advisable or possible. But at the same time, most of the people the team usually served had lost pretty much all of their options for getting a meal. So together with their Salvation Army hosts, they set about creating an alternative.
3: So what we do is we prepare lunch bags, again, either made in-house or donated. Certain organizations will donate portions of the meals or they will make the, the complete lunch bags and we distribute them at the door. There's a proper social distancing line that uh, the, our patrons are very uh, respectful about And, and uh, it, it goes quite smoothly for an hour between 11.30 and 12.30. And, and we try to give them everything that we possibly can because we, we're not sure what other sources of food uh, they're able to come by um, between those two days of Tuesdays and Fridays of serving them.
0: And just because they are now serving outside doesn't mean that the team is willing to skimp on the quality of the food they distribute.
3: It's it's wholesome. It's nutritious. It will last a long time. It's calorie rich, (laughs) which is very important. As I said, you don't know when their next meal will come. And it's something that also doesn't have to be eaten right away. They can keep it for some time and eat it when they can or they can share it with a friend, whatever the case may be. It's made by hand and certainly made with heart.
0: Volunteers can either help make the parts of the meals at home or collaborate in cooking at a community kitchen that has been established to supply Serve the City projects like this one.
3: There is a church that um, they have a huge industrial kitchen and so they will make all of our warm food and prepare it at the church and then drive it in on Tuesdays and then on, on Fridays is hot soup and they'll prepare that and bring it in already in their containers.
0: This is the same church kitchen where volunteers have been making all those muffins for the Breakfast for Refugees project. Jenny's friends on the street have been enjoying muffins too.
3: Yes, the muffins! They're incredible. There's this one woman who made 290 muffins in her kitchen when she was first asked if she could bake anything for the city projects. (laughs) I just can't imagine making 290 muffins in one night.
0: (laughs) We asked Jenny What about your regular volunteers? Because even with precautions, it can feel pretty risky to interact with people from the street, a good number of whom have health issues that can make them more vulnerable to contracting coronavirus.
3: What I do is I email all of the volunteers that have ever volunteered. They will give us little notes before service saying, Hey, I'm thinking of you. Wish I was there. I'm with you in spirit. So everyone, whether they're there physically or not, they are with us. We are one community and it's very comforting and no one has dropped out. Everyone is still participating in their own way, whether it be well wishes or donating something, uh, donating money, um, dropping something off the day before for service the next day, you know, on a Monday or a Thursday.
0: Jenny feels responsible, however, not only to feed her hungry friends on the street, but also to protect those of her volunteers who really shouldn't be out at all.
3: I've, I, I've been very strong in recommending that people not be there physically due to them being perhaps high risk, vulnerable. They live with people who are high risk. You know, people are being smart about not coming in. Some people come in for, to build the lunch bags. They don't stay for the distribution which I am very happy about because it it eliminates me having to tell them I don't think you should be distributing.
0: One of these volunteers is Sister Lorenza, an elderly nun who has been a regular at Le (laughs) Far.
3: Sweet Lorenza. She is, I'm not sure of her exact age. Oh gosh. Um, I would say older than 70. She has helped with Our project for maybe three years now and she just wants to do everything and even if she won't even ask she'll just see something and she will do it if something needs to be cleaned if there's a spot if something isn't just so she will fix it without having to ask she's just a delight and she has so much energy i don't know where she gets it from (laughs) but she lives in essentially a small convent she lives with um, four other of her sisters who are also of her age, and she wants to continue to do everything. And I love her. We love her dearly for it. But her enthusiasm almost gets the best of her, and we need her and her sisters to stay safe. So we, we have to kind of, in a roundabout way, keep her from doing too much.
0: <laughs> Fortunately, Jenny was able to find a way for Sister Lorenza to put her enthusiasm to work while not running so many risks. They have her involved in helping to prepare the lunch bags rather than distributing them.
3: Well, since we've started the lunch bags, she's brought in, let's see, on Tuesday, she brought in 80 bananas. And she's traveling on public transport. She, she brought in 80 bananas, 100 pieces of individually wrapped cheese to go in the lunch bags, and at least 100 um, cookies. <laughs> that she, she received donations from, from her congregation and she went and she purchased food with it and she brings it in and she's just, she's amazing. She's truly amazing.
0: At first, this new system lining up and handing out lunch sacks at a distance seemed a far cry from the personal touch of sitting at tables. After all, Le Faire is one of those projects that emphasizes the importance of knowing people by name not just by their needs. However, Jenny sees how even in this difficult situation, there has been a unique opportunity to connect.
3: You have a much shorter amount of time to have any um, conversation at all with people, but there is certainly a one-on-one contact that sometimes you wouldn't have necessarily had otherwise. And there is a common bond in the fact that we are all having to deal with the situation as such. And so, the time in those few moments that you get to hand someone a hot coffee or a hot soup, plus their prepared lunch bag, you have that moment to share eye contact to give a smile even though your mouth is covered with a mask to have that short conversation how are you I'm good hey make sure you come back on Friday bon appetit I'll tell you really quickly what's in your bag it's very exciting and some made it just for you and they get very excited and we get excited giving it to them so it's this you do get a one-on-one moment with each and every person which sometimes you wouldn't necessarily have uh, you know in a buffet line it's just a it's time management of how to have some interpersonal time with the patrons as you're giving them their their lunch
0: the third humanitarian project that the serve the city Brussels team has kept running is sending volunteers to the Porte du Lys In a previous episode, we profiled this unique shelter for undocumented male migrants that is run almost entirely by volunteers, with only a minimal staff team to coordinate them. One current volunteer shared her experience with us.
4: Hello, my name is uh, Lynn Noirbara and uh, I've been helping out at the Putulis since just before Christmas. And then since the coronavirus and the confinement, I've basically been going every day during the week for the,
0: yeah, nearly four weeks now. Porte du Lys is an initiative of the Platform Citoyen, the Belgian citizens' platform, which was started to aid migrants and asylum seekers during the refugee crisis of 2015. Serve the City was an instrumental partner in opening this shelter, and they continue to serve the essential role of sending volunteers to help in all the practical aspects of the shelter, meals, cleaning, laundry, and so on. The crucial role played by volunteers became even more necessary as COVID-19 impacted this community of migrants and the centre that offered them shelter.
4: Well, life changed in a big way at the centre once the confinement period came because before they used to come to the centre about seven o'clock in the evening, uh, would be given a hot meal and a bed for the night and then the following morning they would have to strip their beds off, hand in their bedsheets, and come in to breakfast, and then by 10, 30, 11 o'clock in the morning they were all asked to leave the centre and could not come back again till seven o'clock in the evening. So during the day they would be on their own and they mostly hang out around the what we know as Parc Maximilian near the
0: North Station in Brussels. Sending the men out during the day allowed the centre to reset, to wash sheets, clean the dormitories, and begin to prepare the evening meal. That was about to change. But on the Day after the confinement was
4: announced, uh, some of the guys were down at the Park Maximilian again and the police came along and said, please go home, you can't stay here. And they said, but we have no home to go to. Um, And they explained the situation and so then there was a whole discussion that went on between the authorities and the centre and the police as to what should happen. And so I think it was as from that
0: Thursday Uh, They all came back, and they've not been let out since. As you can imagine, with 350 men of multiple nationalities living together in a former office building, this has been a sometimes tense situation. I think
4: at the beginning, some of them felt like they were being punished uh, by being kept inside, and it took some time to get through to them that, no, this was being done for their own safety, Um, But then they created what they called a mediation platform. So they have like uh, representatives from each floor in the building who have a meeting with a a small group of the staff who are running the centre. And they meet uh, periodically to discuss some issues. Like one of the issues was uh, about what they were
0: being served for lunch, because at the beginning we weren't prepared for it. Not prepared for it. Obviously, it was not only the men staying in the center who had to adjust to this new reality. Renée, one of the employees at Porte du Lys, who oversees volunteers, describes some of the difficulties the staff faced.
5: So no longer would they leave uh, for the day at 11 or 11.30 and come back at 7 in the evening. They were to be there all day. So it's it's been a bit of a challenge, especially adding lunch in the midst of already a busy morning and already... Starting a new meal uh, midway through the morning, uh, so that lunch can be served. We also adapted a lot of things because they used to have self-service for everything, and now we have to basically serve them everything uh, that they don't touch and share on on the floors above. The men used to leave during the day, and then the floors could be clean. Now. This needs to happen with the men there. So there's a whole organization on each floor how that happens. And when the sheets get changed, because it used to be every day now, it's happening every two days. Uh, there's, yeah, many
0: things that have been happening and adjusting. Uh, day by day, continually. It's also been necessary to raise awareness about the pandemic and implement prevention measures. Doctors Without Borders, Médecins Sans Frontières in French, has been a key partner in this.
5: There's been disinfectant made available to the men, water, more water to drink, uh, washing hands regularly. This week, Médecins Sans Frontières was there all week. giving courses as well, uh, making awareness to the men and different leaders there as to how this
0: needs to happen more effectively. Monitoring health is a huge priority as well, since any outbreak in a center with so many residents would be catastrophic. We asked Renee if they had had any cases of coronavirus.
5: Not that I have heard of. I know the Médecins Sans Frontières is there to monitor as well. Um, anytime anybody is sick in any way, they are quarantined on the floors. but a lot of times it's other illnesses that were going ongoing before. And then anytime there's a question as to other symptoms, they are sent to the hospital or picked up by an ambulance and sent off. So as far as I know, we haven't had any at the center. Nothing has been communicated to us
0: regarding that. While it seems like a hazard keeping this many people together, some with health compromised by their arduous journeys, Renee pointed out to us that the alternative was worse.
5: But can you imagine if you just let these men out and roam through the city, even though there may be risks in the center, there always will be, anywhere if you work in any workplace, or even just walk around the city, there are risks. But if we let these men roam in the city and they're not fully aware of the protocol, and the safety measures that need to be taken, which they're learning in the center, this can affect the whole population of Brussels. So in a way, it's actually protecting the city more
0: than if we didn't do it. Given the precarious position of the men at the center, it's a pretty gutsy thing to volunteer there, even if the tasks Lynn describes herself doing seem fairly everyday.
4: I'm helping with serving and preparing breakfast. I usually get there about seven o'clock in the morning and start with sorting the bread and cutting up bread. And yeah, and then sometimes serving, sometimes staying in the kitchen and overseeing the replenishing of trays to go out for the next batch or for doing the
0: washing up. Still, Lynn feels a very strong motivation to be personally involved.
4: After Christmas... After I'd seen the, the center and the way it worked, I thought, well, this is 15 minutes from where I live. This is something that I can do, even if it means just going in for the first hour, hour and a half to help prepare breakfast. Um, I guess at the base of it, the thing that motivates me is my faith and wanting to do something to help others who are less fortunate.
0: Lynn has noticed that other volunteers have stepped up to this unusual challenge as well. We've been
4: having a lot more volunteers during this whole confinement period. Um, I think that's because you've got students that are no longer at college, you've got people that have been laid off from work and so have got nothing else to do. I think people are looking for opportunities to do something to help. Uh, I think the whole situation here in Belgium, if it has been, if you're able to help somewhere, then please do, whether it's helping with the elderly, whether it's helping in projects like this, um, that people are looking to volunteer and to do their bit to help the country
0: get through this whole uh, confinement. She told us about one volunteer who literally went the extra mile. Lots of them, in fact.
4: Uh, There was one lady that was coming in regularly from Bren le conte which I guess is about 100 kilometers from Brussels, and she was coming in uh, two or three days a week. Yeah, she was an amazing lady. Um, I think also worked normally in the NGO sector, uh, but because of the confinement had been stopped from working. And so she decided that she would come and help at the center.
0: And Renee also shared with us a small story of everyday heroes with dishpan hands.
5: I have two volunteers the last two weeks that come, two young women, and they come and they just do dishes. They're happy to stay in the kitchen and just have their hands in the sink and washing every single tray and cup. Um, And... They're just happy, and they're so helpful, and they're not whining, they're just there to do it. Me, I think, you know,
4: volunteering in this situation has been a very positive experience, and to see that it is basically citizen-led. It's from civil society that this whole uh, arrangement came about with the Port de and just to see different NGOs, civil society groups working together, To be able to provide a safe place for these men to be in after such uh, difficult journeys to get this far, they come from difficult backgrounds, uh, sometimes very unsafe backgrounds, and to give them a place of security at the moment has
0: been a great thing to see. We asked the same question of all the people we interviewed. Of all of our Serve the City values, humility, compassion, respect, courage, love and hope, which have they seen most exemplified by the volunteers who have stepped out to serve in Brussels in this crisis? Which ones are not just being worn on the t-shirt, but carried in the heart? I think the most important of the values probably is compassion,
4: just compassion for each other, but also for the men that we are serving. Uh, plus courage, because I think in certainly in these circumstances even more, uh, courage is necessary, then I would say humility. It takes a lot for people to just come in and do sometimes some quite menial tasks and to be ready to do it uh, just in the face of serving these men who are in precarious situations. Um, Many of them have gone through a lot of difficulty just to get to Belgium, um and have a lot of trauma behind them. So when you get people coming in who are just willing to come in and cut up loaves of bread, wash the floor, do the washing up just to serve them it, it's fantastic
1: I would I would say compassion and courage and I think they both goes at the same time, you know, because the the, the, the compassion gives the motivation to, 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 to have some courage to, to go and serve in this particular time.
3: I wear that t-shirt uh, pretty much every day, even around my house. I love the t-shirt that has that written on it. And I always get comments and compliments and, uh, on that t-shirt that it's so special those words. I really think that they you can't have one of those without the other.
0: Humility, compassion, courage. In the middle of deep uncertainty, when the world seems turned upside down, these are the values that will bring it right side up again. In Brussels, at least, in the time of COVID-19, kindness has not been cancelled. Thank you for joining us today on this special edition of Serving Stories. I have been your host, Ani Deal. If this story inspired you, please share it with someone else to encourage them, and subscribe, rate, and comment so others can find it as well. Serving Stories This Week was written and produced by Shannon Deal, technical production and original music by Parker Deal, designed by Jeremy Malengro. Thanks to all the leaders of Serve the City Brussels for sharing their stories with us. Next time, we will present to you our final episode for this season some stories of creative serving from all over the world as we celebrate a global volunteer day. Listen up for special stories from Newport News, Virginia, Luxembourg, and Paris that we hope will inspire you for serving in your own city. Keep safe, keep on serving, and keep sharing your stories.